So you need to pray more and you need to read your Bible more and you need to be in church more and you need to give more and, and you need to talk to others about Jesus more. And there are thousands of other things that you need to do to make you a better Christian. And I want to warn you today that if you don't shape up, you might not make it in the end. Now, I'd heard that wicked nonsense for years. And I talked to Christians who were worried that they might not be saved after all. I'm not really good enough. And my goal when we started Grace Church was to have a church that magnified the fact that salvation is by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and by nothing else. That's what it's all about. And basically what we need to do, probably Sunday by Sunday, is remind ourselves of the grace of God. Not to be reminded how bad we are. The devil tells us that every day of the week. But to actually be reminded, it's okay because God's grace is all that we need. And when we live under the canopy of God's grace, it does impact our lives. So basically, there was a reactionary kind of uh, foundation or, or, or theme when we started the church. It's like, you know, can we be a church that tells people God loves you tremendously, no matter how you are, that you can find salvation simply by trusting Jesus as your Savior. If you do that, then your soul is saved and your eternity is settled and God's going to guide you through this life to become the person you really want to be and He intends you to be. And that was really the part of the vision. We veered away from the Grace Church title when we spent 10 years doing church in movie theaters. So we adopted the name Church at the Movies. And then, of course, we moved into this building and we're not at the movies. So we had to find a name again. So we became Genesis. And we've been Genesis for the last eight years. It's probably time we changed it again. But anyway, <laughs> that would confuse so many people. Now it's all good. It's all good. Genesis is a place of new beginnings. That's the whole heart of it. But you know, the thing that, the thing that I was struggling with 23 years ago is not new to the Christian church. In the early 1500s, there was a monk in Germany who struggled with it. His name was Martin Luther. Many of you will have heard of him. And Martin Luther had great difficulties with his church, the Catholic church particularly over the issue of what was called indulgences. And indulgences basically meant that if you gave sums of money to the church, or if you said a certain amount of prayers, or if you went on a pilgrimage, then you could actually have the penalty reduced for your sins. And Martin Luther came to a point where in his understanding of the Scripture, he couldn't get this. Because if we've got to pay for our sins, what did Jesus die for? If we've got to pay for our sins, was Jesus' sacrifice not enough? 
And so Luther protested what the Church of Rome was preaching, and so started what we know as the Protestant Reformation. And as the Protestant Reformation gathered momentum, there were five Latin phrases that were at the heart of it. And these are they. Sola Scriptura, which means Scripture alone. We go by this book and nothing added to it and nothing taken away from it. We don't make up our own behaviors and traditions. We go by what the Bible says. You know what the bottom line is? The bottom line is the book. Sola Scriptura. The second one was sola fide, which means faith alone. Salvation is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not by what we do, it's by believing Him. The third was sola gratia, which means grace alone. I haven't earned it, God has given it. In God's grace, He has reached down to us. The fourth is solus Christus, which means Christ alone. And the fifth is soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. And there you've got the message of the gospel. You've got the entirety of it there. It's based upon the Scripture. It's, it, it comes through faith. It's because of the grace of God. It's found in Christ alone, and God's the only one who deserves and gets the glory. You know, that's, that's it. That's it. So, so what, what I want to do over the next few weeks is, is focus on this phrase, sola gratia. And what I want to do is I, I want to anchor it in one of the books in the New Testament. And that is Paul's letter to the Galatians. Because if I was having problems with people trying to tack things on to the grace of God 20-odd years ago, and Martin Luther was having problems with it in the 1500s, then I want to tell you this, the greatest church planter in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, was having difficulty with it with churches in Turkey back in something like A.D. 60 or 70. And Paul writes to the Galatian believers, churches that he had established some time before, and he writes this letter to the Galatians, and that's where we're going to be over the next few Sundays. I'm going to take something from each of its chapters every week. And here's what he says in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I can't believe your fickleness. How easily you have turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ, by embracing a variant message. It is not a minor variation, you know. It is completely other. It's an alien message, a no message. It's a lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. So let me simply explain to you what was happening amongst these churches that Paul said you're turning the message of Christ on its head. Here's what was happening. Okay, Jesus was born into a Jewish culture, right? He was Jewish. He didn't have blonde hair and blue-eyed, however many pictures you've seen, okay? So Jesus was Jewish, okay? So he was born into the Jewish culture. The, the, the gospel came into a Jewish culture. When the early church started, it was based in Jerusalem, Jewish culture. Moved out to Judea, around about, Jewish culture. 
But as time went by, it began to spread to people of different traditions who were not Jewish by, 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 by race and who were not Jewish by religion either. But many of the early church believers who were Jewish believed kind of that the, the gospel was uniquely theirs. That's why I love what it says in Romans 1.16, where it says, Paul says, the gospel is news I'm most proud to proclaim. This extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts in him. It started with the Jews, but then right on to everyone else. Thank God. Right on to everyone else. And once the early church got the concept that the gospel was for wider a wider uh, reach than just for Judaism, they came to the point where they were okay with that. But there were a lot who insisted that non-Jewish believers who put their faith in Christ should then follow the traditions and customs of Judaism, as many of them still did. So they were believers in Christ, but they still did all the Jewish stuff as well. And they said that believers who weren't Jews, who became believers in Christ, should now embrace that. So they should adopt the Jewish guidelines for whether it be dietary laws, Sabbath keeping, circumcision. That would go down a tree. And they, you know, so they, so, so they, they started including all of these things. And the Galatian churches were being impacted by these things. So there are people who were there actively telling them, okay, if you're believers in Christ, here's what you've got to do now. You've got to observe this law, that law, the other law. You've got to do this thing, that thing, the other thing. And they were starting to take it on board. And Paul is shouting at them in Galatians chapter 1 saying, stop, you turned the gospel on its head. Because the gospel is Jesus died for our sins, period. Period. Jesus died for our sins, period. Jesus paid it all. Nothing to add. Nothing whatever. That's why one of the most outstanding um, verses, or two verses in Galatians, is chapter 5, and the opening two verses. Galatians 5, verse 1 says this, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I'm emphatic about this. The moment any of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at the same moment, Christ's hard work, hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. As soon as you feel you've got to do something extra to make you qualified for heaven, you know what? You're actually saying Jesus didn't pay enough. Jesus' offering fell short. Here's my two cents. Look, I could be a better Christian. That's very polite of you. Nobody shouted amen. Okay. So, so I could be a better Christian. And here's, here's where I'm going to hazard a guess. You could be a better Christian too. Right? Right? But, but, but here's what's happening. God is working on us and in us. Right? 
That's where we're at. But the reality is this. The moment I put my faith in Christ as Savior, I am born again. I become a child of God, and I am His. Eternal life is placed within me, and heaven is a done deal for me. Now, you might say, well, I can't get that. What if you do this? What if you do that? What if you stop arguing and just believe what the Bible says? See, the folks who are going to get baptized today are not making a declaration of perfection. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's saying, I couldn't save myself, but I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. And I'm testifying to that this Sunday morning. Jesus paid it all. Nothing you can add to it. Nothing you need to add to it. And the book of Galatians is a reminder of the power of the gospel, the effectiveness of the gospel, and the message of the gospel, sola gratia, grace alone. Grace alone. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am a child of God by the grace of God. I have eternal life by the grace of God. It's totally God-given and by God's grace. Okay, that was my introduction to my 15-minute sermon. Now I'll get... <laughs> this isn't going to work, is it? Okay, let me, let me just share Galatians 1, Galatians 1, 3. Let's take a look at this for a moment. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3. So, so here's the introduction to this letter to these churches in Galatia, which is Turkey nowadays. And Paul writes to them and says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. He's making his point right up front, okay? Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. Done deal. Totally done deal. Christ gave himself for our sins. Let me just run quickly through the things that I was hoping in my dreams to cover today. Okay, number one, here's the thing that this scripture is emphasizing to us. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Jesus gave himself for our sins. It's, it's um, some of you parents probably are, are, are kind of, you look forward to the time when uh, Labor Day comes because it means the kids go back to school somewhere around there. I know it's staggered. And, and, and then, you know, sooner got rid of them, then they got some days off, right? <laughs> because all the Jewish holidays, or a number of the Jewish holidays all, all hit together. It's like, I just got rid of them, and now they're back. Um, and, and one of those, of course, which was recent, was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement which is the holiest and, 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 and most serious sober day in the Jewish calendar. And, and the Day of Atonement dates way back to Old Testament days. And that was the day when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to, and he would take with him the blood of an animal sacrifice to atone for, to pay for the sins of the people. 
The whole concept was, this animal has died. God, will you accept their sacrifice so that we don't have to die for our sins? That's the concept of the Day of Atonement. So John the Baptist is preaching, and as he's preaching uh, down by the River Jordan in the first chapter of John's Gospel, one day as he was preaching, it says this, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The death of Christ was not primarily an act of love or a demonstration of great bravery. It was a sacrifice for sin. The Day of Atonement was an annual event. Year after year after year after year it went on. But then Jesus came, the Lamb of God, and when he shed his blood, he took away the sin of the world. Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That's what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Look at this next bit. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. I want you to remind yourself this morning, Jesus gave himself for our sins. Jesus paid the debt in full. The second thing I, I've got from this, these few verses is this. The Bible says, and Jesus rescued us. Jesus rescued us. Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To rescue us from the present evil age. Colossians 1.13 says, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Jesus was widely acknowledged as an incredible teacher, but that wasn't his primary role. He came to be a rescuer. He came to rescue. Most people would look at Christians and think they're followers of Jesus' example and believers in Jesus' teaching, but while those things may be true, they're not our primary identity. The primary identity of the children of God is this. We've been rescued. We've been rescued. That's who Christ's followers are. They're people who have been rescued. And we've been rescued because we believe that Christ paid the penalty for us. It's not just about what we believe. It's about who we've trusted. If somebody is drowning, you don't toss them a book on how to swim. You get in there and you pull them out. And when Jesus came from heaven, he didn't throw us the New Testament and say, good luck, this will help you out. He came to where we were, and thank God he lifted us. We are rescued. He has rescued us. It's not about how much of the Bible we know. It's about our degree of rescuedness. You learn a new word here this morning. <laughs> I created it especially for today. 
rescued, rescued. That's what it's all about. Oh, but you gotta do this, you gotta do that. Stop it, I'm rescued, I'm rescued. Jesus died for us, he rescued us. And then I want you to notice this last bit here. In those same verses, it reminds us that the Father wants us. Galatians 1 4, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father. Where does your salvation come from? The will of our God and Father. You say, well, I, I decided one day that I'd give my life to Jesus. You'd never have been remotely near to making that decision if the Father hadn't decided that He wanted you, if Jesus hadn't paid the price for you, and if the Holy Spirit hadn't started to draw you. There's the reality. Every single one of us here today who knows the Lord, you know what? We're in the family of God because the Father wants us. The Father values us. Not because of what we've done, not because of what we do, not because of the good things, not because of the holy things, not because of how much Bible you know, not because of how much you pray, but for this simple reason, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. John 1.13, all those who believe this are reborn, not a physical rebirth resulting from human passion or plan, but from the will of God, but from the will of God. I just want to remind you and encourage you this Sunday morning. Your salvation is a done deal when you trust in Jesus. It's sola gratia. It's grace alone. It's grace alone. And some, of, some of you might still be listening to preachers who are telling you you're not good enough. If you don't shape up, you won't make it. Turn it off. Turn it off. Those people have turned the gospel on its head. Don't listen to them. Not good enough? Of course you're not good enough. I'm not good enough either. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why Jesus had to die. That's why Christ suffered in our place, because we're not good enough. And we could never make it to a grade when we are good enough. So my faith is in this simple fact. Christ died for me, and that's good enough for me. Amen. That's enough. Jesus Hate it all. We'll continue looking in Galatians over the next few Sunday mornings. But let's first of all, let's take a few moments to pray together. And then I'm going to invite those who are going to be baptized today to come over here and meet Robin. She'll meet you over here. And we'll start to move into that segment of our service today. But let's just bow our heads for a moment. And 